0: Welcome to this episode of Moments in Leadership. Please do me a favor, don't hit the plus 30 seconds button like I'm guilty of doing with a lot of podcasts because I do want to take a few minutes in the intro to share my experiences from ITX4TAC23 but first, I want to thank a lot of my new Supercast supporters. You all help me defray the cost of this effort. And as I've said in the past, I'll, I'll donate any profits to military charities. So if you find value in this project and you want to support the project, the link is in the bio. You know what to do. So with that... Special thanks to some new subscribers, A.P. Camelli at the hot wash level. Man, you've been a friend of mine. I've known you since 1986. He was a Mustang officer, Cobra pilot, and retired as a colonel, so thanks for your help, A.P. Bradley Jones at the hot wash level. Rich Martin at the hot wash level. Colonel Martin, thank you very much for supporting the effort and introducing me to a few new potential guests. Really appreciate that. Allison Baldwin at the Buy Me a Beer level. She's a Cav Trooper down in Texas, who aspires to become a Marine Corps officer. So, hurrah, Allison, go get it done. James Solberg, the hot wash level, looks like you're out of Holy Cross, Hurrah, Crusaders. James Rogers at the hot wash level. Giovanni de Girolamo, I hope I got that right, and Antonio Bragio, Barre- both at the Buy Me a Beer level. I am I hope I got those names right, sorry. Uh, if I didn't, hope you actually uh, can have beers with me sometime, but until then, thank you very much. So, a quick ask slash reminder. Uh, If you haven't dropped me a review on Apple or rating on Spotify, those things really help. So please try to hook me up there, even if it's just a sentence. Obviously, subscribing helps as well. So like I said, ITX4, TAC 23. So there was a group of us that got invited out by Lieutenant General Bellin and Sergeant Major Ruiz, incoming 20th Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, to come observe a few days of training. And this was MAGTAF 25 Summer Reserve ITX and 25th Marines, is a reserve regiment led by an active-duty Marine Colonel Infantry Officer. It's out of the Boston area, commanded by Patriot 6, Colonel John Smith. I just missed the Lone Star Battalion of 123 out there, and that bummed me out because there was this Marine out there, Corporal Claude, who was a fireteam leader with Alpha 123, and they're out of Houston, Texas. And Corporal Claude moved to the U.S. from the Democratic Republic of Congo, Enlists in the Marine Corps to start his naturalization process to become a citizen. He goes to college at Texas A&M. He completes completes the 10-week OCS program, goes back to college to finish his degree and get a commission, and then his dad passes away suddenly. So he has to drop out of college. Okay, so when that happens, you're also dropped out of the commissioning process. So this guy says, fuck it. Reapplies to college a few years later at Texas State University, submits another OCS package, goes to OCS again, completes it again, and finally graduates from Texas State in 2023. Okay, so he's all set to get commissioned and go on active duty and then on to TBS. But remember, he was in the reserves with Alpha-123 Infantry Company. So what does this Marine do? He says he wants to delay his commissioning until after ITX because he wants to lead his fire team through range 400. So he finishes Range 400, they have a company formation, and then right there on the spot, they commission him as a second lieutenant, right there in front of all of his Marines. So he goes from corporal to lieutenant, right after running through Range 400. I just think that that's awesome. So from now on, when I hear people talk about the future of the Corps, where's the future of the Corps coming from, and who is left out there in the country that has the propensity to serve and who out there wants to be part of the finest fighting organization this world has ever seen when the other services are lowering their standards and paying bonuses to join, well, I'm just going to point to now Second Lieutenant Claude because that is who is joining our Marine Corps and that is the caliber of Marines serving in the reserves. And for those of you thinking about getting out and looking at the reserves as an option to stay affiliated, that is who you're going to be serving with. So Semper Fi, Lieutenant Claude. Anyway, I got to watch both Alpha and Charlie 125 out there on range 400 and 410 with I mean, one of the platoons was led by a staff sergeant. It was awesome. I got to see 1st Platoon of the Transportation Services Company of CLB-25 doing the live fire mock course, which was led by Gunnery Sergeant Alfonso White. I got to see the hustlers of HMM, uh, sorry, HMH-772 sling-loading gear all over the place and vehicles all over the place, howitzers. I got uh, a hop in the new Huey variant with the Red Dogs of HMLA-773. I got to see Lieutenant General Bellin award impact NAMs to people he saw kicking ass and then just look at the leadership and say, okay, now go write that up. That was really cool. I, I wish I saw more of that throughout my time in the Marine Corps, just handing out medals and like patting with a box of medals. It was just awesome. I'll say this to any listeners. If you have the authority to award impact NAMs, consider this idea. He, he and the Sergeant Major took the cardboard box that the NAM comes in, you've all seen it. And they each wrote something to the Marine on the box in Sharpie. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, I think I would frame that cardboard box with those two writing me a personal note on my NAM box on the cardboard. Then I probably would the certificate. I, you know, I'd be interested. That's just more special. But anyway, here's another story. I saw Lieutenant General Bellin ask a whole a whole unit. It's like he would gather them around and then point out on the spot some Marine who was kicking ass, and then ask the rest of the unit to justify why that marine was deserving of recognition. So, you know, other their peers were standing up and, and advocating and explaining to General Bell and why that marine was kicking ass. And so right there on the spot he slapped a nam on them. And I thought that was really cool because Everybody's familiar with end of tour awards and things like that, but when you get a NAM that is basically awarded by your peers, your enlisted peers, I, I mean, I just think that those are the kind of those are the best kinds of awards you could ever have. So two times I saw PFCs recognized by the group like that, and General Bellin on the spot meritoriously promoted them to Lance Corporal. I mean, on the spot. He literally took the rank off of another Marines uniform and promoted them. And Actually, I had no idea you could just do that, but essentially there are a lot of meritorious Lance Corporal slots out there, but PFCs pick up Lance Corporal faster than they can get boards put together to do it, so there's there's a lot of them, and he can just pull them out of his pocket whenever he wants to, so I thought that was really cool. There's some cool footage of all the ITX exercises and things I saw on my Instagram page, so make sure you check it out. It's at the mill office on Instagram. I do need to send out a couple of special thank yous for the whole experience real quick. Obviously, I need to thank Lieutenant General Beller and Sergeant Major Ruiz, but let's face it, they just basically tell people to do stuff. So I really need to thank some of the other people that set a lot of this up. Lieutenant Colonel Craig Thomas, Mar Res Comstrat for all the work that went into getting us out there and seeing everything. Dude, you are just kicking ass at your job. Captain Mark Andres. Thanks for getting us access and explaining everything. I wish that young ComStrat officers out there could see both of you in action and get an idea of how pros are actually running things as ComStratters. I hope both of you are out there mentoring younger ComStratters. I truly believe that you both really get it. Getting that hop cleared involved a lot of people, and I'm still not convinced someone doesn't end up in the brig over it. Um, That's a joke. First, my old friend AP Camelli, skid pilot extraordinaire who greased the skids for that opportunity. See what I did there, guys? Thank you so much for that. The CO of HMLA 773, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Poser Woodward, Lieutenant Colonel Eugene Flamer Payne for dealing with all the back and forth on the logistics. And really, that guy just made it happen. Major Nick Chainsaw Philippi and Lieutenant Colonel Brian cro for flying and showing me parts of 29 Palms I had never seen before, like the tops of the mountains. It was cool to see Sunshine Peak and Lavic Lake from the air after spending all that time sweating on the ground in those two tr- parts of the training area, so thank you. Corporal Ryan and Lance Corporal Vincent for making sure I didn't fall out and for doing such an awesome job gunning off of each side of the aircraft. That was very cool. And finally, one of the podcast producers for Moments in Leadership who really helped me out, retired Marine Colonel Greg Hallinan, one of the best friends anyone could ever have. So let me wrap it up with this. And this is not bullshit. If you're on active duty and there are things that you really like about being a Marine, but you have some other life plans driving a decision to get off active duty and pursue them... Do not overlook the opportunity of the SMCR. I watched firefighters, cops, pharmaceutical sales reps, artists, students, lawyers, investment bankers, and a lot of other occupations out there doing the stuff that they loved doing on active duty. Here are the benefits. Here's a few of the benefits that they, the Marine Corps, really can't officially say. So I'm just going to say them. And this is not an official statement. This is me. My own personality doesn't reflect any of their, you know, the disclaimer, right? So first of all, the the reserves, it's all of the fun shit without a lot of the bullshit. And here's why. This, This warrants an explanation and understanding. They just don't have the time to mess around. They have one weekend a month and two weeks in the summer, and they still have to do all the big stuff like PFT, CFT, Marine Corps ball, rifle range, all those things. So when I saw them out there at ITX, they were out there just kicking ass and loving it because they were doing what they joined up to do. I mean... In the reserves, is there some bullshit? Of course there is, but it's minimized. Everyone in the reserves is there because they want to be. And that leads me to my next point, and they won't advertise this either, but you're an at-will employee when you're in the reserves, for the most part, unless you're a first contract enlisted Marine that went right into the reserves. If you're coming off active duty, you've already served your four years, and you join a reserve unit, you're an at-will employee, unless you take a bonus or, or some other thing that obligates you to stay in the reserve unit. In fact, if you're thinking of getting off active duty, the first step is to find out what units are around you, where you think you're going to end up, and call the inspector instructor staff, that's the small active duty component at every single reserve unit, and ask them what slots they have available. From there, set up a visit and go observe the unit on a drill weekend and get a feel for it. People do this all the time. It's called a courtesy drill. There's even opportunities to lat-move MOSs inside of units. So if you were an O331 and the unit near you is an artillery battery, you can usually get a school seat and pick up a new MOS. Anyway, what I'm saying is that you should research it. And here's the best part. Again, this is, this is not anything that would be officially stated, but you can also quit. You can join a reserve unit, drill one weekend and quit. Now, I mean, you're going to get a shitty fitness report and you're going to damage your professional reputation, but you can do it. You can probably do it once. My point is that generally, you're not contractually obligated to stay in a reserve unit if you're coming off of active duty because you've already served and satisfied your four years of enlistment. And you're in the IRR for another four years, but you don't have to drill if you don't want to. So, I mean, asterisk here, if you take a bonus or go to an MOS school, you may be obligated to serving some time. So educate, take the time to educate yourself on that. But if you don't take anything, you don't owe anything. Think of it like this. If most of the unit wants to be there most of the individuals in that unit want to be there and most of the unit can up and walk out the door anytime they want to how good do you think that unit is yeah i mean if they're all at will employees and can quit but they still show up one week in a month and two weeks in the summer you got to imagine that they're all having a good time and that unit's pretty good so yeah the marines there on those units are pretty damn good okay My guest for this episode is Sergeant Major Black, the 19th Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, and is already well-known, so I won't bother with his bio on this episode. But this is his follow-up episode with me, so make sure you go back and listen to his first one from August of 2022. And of note, this was recorded before Sergeant Major Ruiz was announced as, tw- as the 20th Sergeant Major in the Marine Corps, and also before Sergeant Major Black was announced as the incoming 5th Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chairman, or SEAC. By the way, quick, did you know, Sergeant Major Black will actually change his rank to SEAC Black. SEAC is actually a rank. It has its own insignia. So the proper way to address him going forward is SEAC Black. And his insignia will change a little bit. Currently, he has two stars on either side of the eagle inside of his chevrons, and that changes to four stars. So be sure to go back and listen to the Moments in Leadership episode with the current SEAC, SIAC Ramon Colon Lopez, who's an Air Force PJ, from back in 2022, where we chat about the rank and everything. Anyway, I'm having fun imagining how hard it will be for people to recognize that black rank on his camis in the parking lot of the PX and get off the appropriate greeting of the day, correct? So, and with that, welcome Sergeant Major Black. I like that gamer headset you're sporting for today.
1: I feel like I'm playing like Call of Duty with my son right now with this headset on, you know what I mean?
0: You can definitely make fun of the hair, sergeant Major, if you want to. I got this camera angle that makes it look like it's really long, but that's okay. I can have my hair however I want to. <laughs> people that look like me,
1: yeah, people that look like me don't get to make fun of hair because, well, I keep telling them it makes a choice, but the fact of the matter is I could have chosen to have had something that looks worse than this or choose to cut it off. Yeah, so
0: well, I went with the latter. Well, it's good to see you again, you know, as a, as a refresher, last time I bumped into you, we were down at the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation Awards dinner. That was really great. It was yeah. awesome to see so many enlisted Marines, NCOs, winning literary awards. I just thought that was fantastic. Way outnumbered the officers this year, which I thought was really cool.
1: Well, you know, something I've just—I say—I've discovered, learned, or kind of figured out along the way, and this is going to sound wrong the way it comes off. So please don't, I hope sure. don't misunderstand. We haven't enlisted this submit for all of these things, mm-hmm. but I think we're trying to fit. What we're starting to figure out is it doesn't have to only be the the general, mm-hmm. the colonel, right? That can that that because people will immediately associate. Oh, they must know what they're talking about, and therefore, if you want to elicit some sort of response or support or the message to be heard, you know, you, you might get something from a former sergeant. You might get something from a gunner. You might get something mm-hmm. from a lance corporal, right? And so I think the I think the world is starting to appreciate more. Of the literary voice for people in uniform that aren't just like message to Garcia. The PFC made, you know accomplish the mission, or strategy and you know human human dimension uh, from an enlisted person. Right? It doesn't have to come from a general. This is a good place to be. In other words,
0: yeah, I I agree, and I think the digital medium, which. By the way, I I really have to commend you on embracing it, you and and Massard and fuentes Your embracing of the digital medium, I think, is setting an example for a lot of people on how to use it correctly and use it as a, a voice for good. And the digital medium has really leveled the playing field on getting everybody's voice to be heard. It used to be back in our old days, you, know, you either published something in the Marine Corps Gazette or you didn't, or Leatherneck or you didn't. Now you can That's have right. blogs and everything else. As a matter of fact, the Marine who won the, the Lejeune Award down at uh, the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation, he's got a huge blog and everything. So I'll put some show notes in there. But really appreciate you coming back on. I know you're getting close to, to retirement. And I, I, I want to start off by kind of asking... A, almost a two-part question. I've never seen the official Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps Relief and Appointment Ceremony. I'm, I wonder if you could walk listeners through what that ceremony is like um, who have also never seen it. You know, where is it? Who's there? Is it small or is it some big formation or parade? Or Do you have a say in it? Is it all officially scripted and I mean, really importantly, who gets their ass chewed if something goes wrong? Because it's not you or the new sergeant major of the Marine Corps, right? So, <laughs> whose head is this laying on? You know,
1: it's a, it's a great question to ask. First of all, unless you are the sergeant major of the Marine Corps, why would you ever even you know wonder what that was like? So, before you know, getting this job and inheriting it from Sergeant Major Green, I couldn't have told you. But what I can tell you now, in looking back on it, is it it's been it's been kind of a I won't say a crapshoot. It hasn't been real consistent. Mm-hmm. In other words, it really depends upon the time of the year. It depends upon availability of of resources. And let me give you an example. And so Sergeant Major Green and I uh, did a ceremony embedded in a Friday night parade uh, on a Friday evening at Marine Barracks, Washington. We just embedded it, basically embedded it, embedded a relief and appointment ceremony into the Friday night parade. Phenomenal, really cool. Um, uniquely, there's one parade a year that the sergeant major of the Marine Corps hosts, uh, and it was during, it's an all NCO parade. There's no officers on the parade deck. It also happens to go in line with the sergeant major of the Marine Corps symposium, which is a kind of like the commandant's executive offsite with sure. three stars. Uh, we bring in the senior sergeants major, a group of senior master gunnery sergeants. They're all there. Well, it just kind of coincides, and they're also in attendance along with the normal folks that would attend the Friday night parade. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Uh, Sergeant Major Barrett did a, a ceremony, I think it was like January, December or January, uh, at the Korea Memorial, World War II Memorial, as you were, I believe, one or the other. Like it was freezing cold, everybody was getting snowed on. So it's been kind of a hit or miss. I think going forward, if we keep the Commandant and the Sergeant Major sort of on track and the summertime kind of is the thing, then we'll probably see... Something more akin to doing it at Marine Barracks, Washington, which is probably the right place to do it. Right. I don't know if we'll embed it in a Friday night parade again, because that's that's very disruptive of their sequence of events. That thing is that thing is yeah. a machine. We'll probably see a separate ceremony during the week, Tuesday or Wednesday, during 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 our parade week. The old sergeant major of the Marine Corps uh, will be out of the seat. The new sergeant major can spend the last couple of three days of the symposium really getting to know the, the symposium, being able to provide their guidance and their direction. And then isn't it really cool that potentially the sergeant major of the Marine Corps four days later shows up on Friday because all of the former sergeants major are the guests of honor at that once a year parade with, that's all enlisted. You know, four to, three days ago, you were the sergeant major. Now you're in a suit on Friday showing up in the line of former sergeant major with the new sergeant major right. hosting the parade. I think that's pretty cool.
0: That is pretty cool. So how many force level sergeant majors are there? Like maybe less than 15, right? I'm kind of guessing. Yeah.
1: So right now we have 10, 10 billets in the Marine Corps that, that are equivalent to working for three-star generals. Yes.
0: So of that 10, or maybe if there's some out in joint that don't count against that, when there is a new sergeant major in the Marine Corps, you're going to know that. You're going to know that Marine. You're going to know that sergeant major. So what is a... We just talked about what the ceremony is like, but what, what is the personal you to him, you to her turnover like? Is it Do you say like, hey, let's get together for a beer on Thursday night. I'm going to start. I, I want to give you some of my thoughts on this. How do you turn over the lessons learned as a Sergeant Major Marine Corps to the new one? I'm sure there's a, a written after action official, but there's got to be some sort of, y'all are friends, you know, you know each other. There's got to be some sort of personal connection there, right? And then What are some of those lessons learned? That's a great question.
1: I think each turnover is a little bit unique, and let me explain why. I came from Manpower and Reserve Mm -hmm. Affairs. So it's a relatively close association you have down in Quantico as the Sergeant Major of Manpower and Reserve Affairs with the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. It has nothing to do, it does not influence who becomes the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. But the vast majority of things that the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps Does either in testimony, uh, interacts with the headquarters, Marine Corps staff, all the functions of the sergeant major of the Marine Corps after war Mm -hmm. fighting, right, are all people things. Well, there's a direct uh, affiliation there. So I understood a lot of the current manpower personnel issues going on in the Marine Corps at the time. The hardest part of the transition for me was understanding the the functionality of the headquarters, Marine Corps, and everything – that surrounds the roles and responsibilities of the sergeant major. I couldn't have I couldn't have told you knowing that the sergeant major of the Marine Corps, all the service senior enlisted, actually go to testimony. I couldn't have understood what that was until I got in the seat and went through testimony prep. Okay, it's a whole that's a whole different thing you don't ever get exposed to, or at least have the responsibility for doing as an enlisted Marine. Now if someone's not in the situation that I was in, then you're out in the hinterland it's a whole different sort of turnover, right? Because intuitively you don't ha- you don't see as closely what's going on. I have tried, and, and Sergeant Major Green and all the other sergeants major, because you get a lot of you get a lot of new friends and advice when you become the sergeant major of the Marine Corps. <laughs> all the former sergeants major, they, they, which isn't rightfully so, they'll, they'll provide you mentorship, right? Every one of them said, whatever you do, do your best to try to communicate to all of those sergeants major, not just at the force level, but across the force, master gunnery sergeants and sergeants major, your daily or weekly or monthly sort of battle rhythm. Because then it'll, it'll at least enculturate in them an idea of the role and responsibility of this billet. Because I will tell you, I may have even doubted it having observed it, there is no other role in the Marine Corps, for an enlisted Marine, like the sergeant major of the Marine Corps. It's it, I mean, there's peers and there's the force level, does not it? it it's completely different with the roles and responsibilities of all the service senior enlisted did. It's only one, to my knowledge, that's actually written into the law, or the CAC being the other one, the, the chairman's senior enlisted. There's law pertaining to the responsibilities of these of these jobs. So I didn't really answer your question, but it's definitely going to be over beer, preferably an IPA. And, and it'll, it'll go something like, okay, day one. And then I'll stop talking four hours later and say, okay, that's your first right. week. It's pretty
0: intense. Is there maybe another way to ask the question is if you were starting all over, knowing what you know now, if you're starting all over again on day one, is there something that you didn't get done that you wanted to get done? Because we all run out of runway, right?
1: <laughs> you ever seen Santa Claus's list for, for toys? That's about what's left on the list of, of ideas that you have. So let me, let me just dispel some myths. Every, everybody will tell you, hey, pick three big rocks Go after those three things. You'll be lucky to get those three things done. Um, I own none of the credit for what I'm getting ready to say, so I hope it doesn't not come across wrong to the audience. There's been a lot more than three, and right. So why I say that is I think my starting point for the former for for the next sergeant major of the Marine Corps is okay. We've all socialized as a group. To your point, it's it's going to be I will I will know who the person is, right? Uh, the Marine Corps is not that big, not just because they, may, they might come from the force level. There's no requirement that the sergeant major comes from the force level. But at the end of the day, they know what's ongoing with the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps, although very revolutionary right now, still has some fundamental things that they were all aware of. And the programs you push forward don't get done on anybody's singular tour. They're somewhere in the next tour where they come to full fruition, right? Using language we use around here within a FITUP, right? Nothing happens within a fiscal year. It's all a fit-up conversation, like a five-year plan. And so when you think in those terms, then it's really being able to tell someone, if you still support this thing that the commandant and the current sergeant major, you know, have been pushing for the last couple of three years, you have nuance to it, right? Here are some pitfalls you may run into trying to get it across the finish line. And those pitfalls are the things you don't know before you come into an assignment like this. Where you know all the touch points to try to, you know, to try to 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 start conversations and keep them going long enough for it to get into the, you know, the the many cycles that there are here to make to make any sort of relevant moves or changes. Again, didn't answer your question, but it's it's very nuanced. I would say it's
0: you know it's it's kind of interesting with with all the because you mentioned changing the Marine Corps and more revolutionary and with all the changes and the modernization going on in the Marine Corps right now. From a leadership perspective, how is, how is that going to affect our traditions, our way of life, our custom standards, those kind of things?
1: Uh, they're not. I think sometimes, and again, this isn't my current learning, nothing that I, I think I've picked up over the last four years. The last service to ever change their mm-hmm. culture, their standards, is the Marine Corps. I think, generally speaking, if you look, and this isn't 100% accurate, we resist with a passion. There is a line, in, and you and I talked about this the last time we spoke, there's a line in the joint document on the petty officer and non-commissioned officer of the armed forces. It's in the description of the Marine Corps. And it goes something like this, that the United States Marine Corps defends its culture, defends its form of discipline, defends its standards as though it's a religion. I think religion is probably the wrong word to use, but, mm-hmm. but you get my point. And so... Unless forced to do so, we don't have a tendency in the Marine Corps to change who we are. Now, what we do and how we do it is a completely different story. It's like, it's like warfare. The nature and the character, nature is continuous. The character changes, right? The nature of the Marine Corps, unchangeable. The character of the Marine Corps, okay. Many of it, to put a fine point on many of the things we see as legacy in the Corps or like 1775 to like General Lejeune, right? And then we revolutionized and became a warfighting organization that did amphibious operations before anybody else on the planet was thinking about it. So the idea that you can become an amphibious fighting force, you know, having, having the Mameluke sword, you know, these kind of things, like we're going to change that. We didn't change that then. We won't change that now. Otherwise, we're not the Marine Corps. I don't
0: think we should do those things. Right, but with force design twenty thirty, there's obviously going to be some changes in 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 things. I'll I'll call them negotiables and non-negotiables. Right. So if you think about this question from the perspective, ah, great point on non-negotiables. Oh, okay, yeah. So so let me let me cue this up for you then, because maybe we're talking the same language. So from the perspective of the emerging leader, right, like the listener who's a corporal sergeant, lieutenant captain, that group of emerging leaders. Where do you see the divergences taking place between? a negotiable and a non-negotiable. And, and and what I mean by that is, are there things in the Marine Corps that, there are things in the Marine Corps that will never change, right? A, a, but that doesn't mean that nothing should change. What are some of the things that you think those emerging leaders should be angling for changes on that you don't have 10 years of runway to take to implement those changes now?
1: Let me first address non-negotiables. I'll just run down them. I, I published a Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps memo. I think it was the first one that I put out on mm-hmm, non-negotiables. Here they are, war fighting, non-negotiable. Anything we do in the Marine Corps that's not focused on war fighting is inherently uh, opposite of what our purpose is. Physicality and expeditionary mindset, we are the Marine Corps. We can get enamored with uh, air conditioning and pizza places in combat, but the fact of the matter is that's not how we fight. Professional military education and professional development, non-negotiable. History protocol, traditions, non-negotiable. Uh, leadership and leadership development, non-negotiable. Discipline, our unique form of how we think about discipline. And lastly, something unique to our core, and I know this gets a lot of criticism, but drill and ceremony, because the whole entire history of our core is based in precision. It's based in, it's based in attention to detail. It's based in the Pre-combat checks, pre-combat inspections, it's it's that's that's that is imperative as a as a non-negotiable. Now what's negotiable? Everything else. Anybody that's seen the movie Aliens, the second one, right? Those were Marines. Then you can now that, that's a ragtag fugitive bunch of, of Marines, right? But well, let's be very visionary for a moment. If anyone believes that maritime dominance maritime warfare doesn't eventually turn into expeditionary warfare outside of low Earth orbit, probably can't see, see reality. We will have human beings on extraterrestrial bodies in space that will be in conflict. I don't think, that's not Star Trek, that's not Star Wars, but we keep laughing at Star Trek and every time we turn around we're doing something they right. are doing there, right? But at the end of the day, as soon as someone can put humans on the moon with oxygen, and start to mine it and farm it, there will be conflict there. Think 100 years from now what the world looks like. I'm convinced of that, and I think that it's going to be Marines that are going to do that Mm -hmm. first, because we'll be thinking about that, but we'll still be those other six, seven things I talked to you about. Those will be imperative, non-negotiable, non-negotiable. Now, I know I threw a lot of sci-fi out there, and people are like, oh, my gosh, this guy's out of his mind. I never thought we were going to. I never thought we would be talking about, I don't know, AI making decisions on the battlefield or robots or symbiotic organisms were like things that were like really happening, right? So we got to think in different terms. Yeah, nobody before. in 1985 thought they'd hold something in their hand that would tell them exactly where they are on a map. Yeah, there's a book called 1984. You should go back
0: and read it. A lot of that's real yeah. today.
1: And it wasn't written in
0: 84. It was yeah. written long before, right? Uh, somewhat prescient. You know, so the negotiables and non-negotiables. I I love that. Thanks for sharing that with me. I I agree with all of your non-negotiables, right? Because that's what makes us so special. I reflect back to why I came in the Marine Corps, why you came in the Marine Corps, why any listener came in the Marine Corps, and we talked about this a lot. In your first podcast, and we talked about how people come in the Marine Corps and they want to be Marines, and then something happens and they turn into a shitbird or something like that, and, and that happens. And I'm not rehashing that, but I'm I'm kind of looking at this recruitment and retention issue, and So far, from my perspective, what I'm reading, the Marine Corps is the only service to meet the recruiting and retention goals. So why and how and how are we going to continue that?
1: Uh, Careful how I say this, but let me let me think, let me provide how I because we we are all getting asked this question here right now. First of all, there are decades of research that has stated that the pool of eligible, qualified and propensed people to join the all-volunteer force has been shrinking. So we can say we're at this pivotal moment where it's all come to fruition, and we can say it's because of, co- we can say all of these things, right? But the fact of the matter is we've known for decades that the desire to serve, right? We can have a whole different conversation about call mm-hmm. to service. But this predates COVID, and it predates the last four years of, of maybe social social challenges that we see ourselves attempting to address. But the fact is we've known that this pool is shrinking. So no surprise here. What makes the Marine Corps different right now? This is an obvious bias. It's brand, period. Um, I'm a bit of a football fan. and As much as I hated the Patriots for all the years the Patriots were a good football team, everybody in the NFL, if they could have found a way, would have played for the Patriots. Because they won. They didn't lose. And so for two decades, two decades, that team dominated the most highly competitive sport, arguably. I'm a fan. Uh, in our in, in in our country, how they deal with different players they have some consistent things. they had a thing called the patriot Patriots way, right you either on the team, you asked to be here here's our standards if you don't follow them, expect to not play mm-hmm. and get cut non-negotiables right but they changed their offense every year. they changed their defensive scheme every year, right but it was still the same foundation so to recruiting, I think it's brand. It still means something when a Marine recruiter is walking around in the streets, right, goes up to someone and says, do you have what it takes to be one of us? Do you, we will give you the challenge. You don't get it for free. Well, I want a bonus. We don't do that. Your bonus is graduating, recruit, training, and have the title tattooed on your chest the rest of your life. If you stay with us, then we'll talk about that. But But it's the challenge, right? Everyone wants to be a winner. Our brand is, if you join us and you can make it, if you can get on the team, you'll be in the Super Bowl every year. Every year. That's still attractive. Takes more work now to do that. We may meet a threshold. I don't know when. If I could close that point out, because I think this is something we never talk about, the reverse of that is retention. And so let's make an assumption. If the pool were drying up continually of propensed, qualified, and eligible Then the ones that we get in the door, here's a lever to pull, the known knowns, right? You would want to keep them. This is a lever that the Marine Corps traditionally has not had to pull. We're pulling it now, not for the purpose of missing recruiting numbers, but for the purpose of the commandant put us on this task to mature the force. Maturity comes through training, education, experience, retraining, re-educating and gaining more experience that mm-hmm. is retention. So now a balance between if we keep more Marines and there are far there are thousands of more Marines each year that want to stay in the Marine Corps, then we have than we have allowed to stay. That's an important thing to talk about. That's part of the brand. If you keep more and the pool continues to shrink for a period of time, you can offset that balance, right We may lower we may, this is a big May in quotes. We may lower the accession requirement. That's okay. It goes up and down all the time. Nobody should be alarmed by that. But if we keep more talent, guess what happens? You don't have to bring as much in on the front end.
0: And there, now you can balance the, the challenges that we may be seeing right now. This is great. and I And I love hearing that perspective from the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. And there's this power of, because the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps said, But then there's that corporal and there's there's that sergeant and there's that lieutenant and there's that captain that are down every single day touching retention through their actions and their leadership. And they're – I I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way. I didn't really phrase this in my head before the interview, but um, they're touching those Marines and impacting retention way more than you are as a sergeant major of the Marine Corps on a daily basis, right? So what do you see as some of the things that are important for those – daily touchpoint leaders to think about as they are involved in retention at that level? So
1: I live in the world of like macro data, right? What's the big numbers tell us? So let me me start there and then I'll get right to your question. Numbers are important. So three years ago, a great conversation was had, nothing to do with COVID, nothing to do with just, hey, the Commandant said mature the force. We did a Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps Warfighter Summit that talked about recruit Mm -hmm. to retain. Rather than recruit someone to deliver to their first unit, why aren't we recruiting people who we want to retain? Mm-hmm. That's just like miraculous thought, right? Because everybody we retain is somebody we recruited, but it's not the focus. So starting at the accession pipeline, right, at the beginning, the Marine Corps is a career. It's not something you do for four years or, or one contract to hold, put your life on hold move on. It's actually something beyond that. So that's sort of setting a, a behavior, right? Three years ago, MNRA threw out, hey, we're going to not accept the fact that we won't meet a retention goal and throw the requirement to meet in strength over to, to the recruiting pool. We're going to meet a retention goal. We did. Go figure. Right? Something that maybe the general population would say, oh, nobody wants to stay in the Marine Corps. We can't keep enough. False. Always been false. Then- Two years ago, we said, okay, let's get a little bit closer to meeting the grade in the MOS. Now, retention is more than just first-termers. It's it's first-termers and everybody else. You want to keep staff sergeants and gunnies mm-hmm. too, right? And so looking at retention of then making like the number, then getting the right MOSs and the right pay grades, right? So the structure and the experience, right, that maturity gets there. Last year or this year, FY23. What we found out was is that our retention goals were actually ceilings. In other words, and this is for all the captains and lieutenants and the staff sergeants and the gunnies that are out there, the first sergeants and sergeants major, master guns. When you call up a monitor and the monitor or the career planner says, no more boat spaces, what that means is, is that corporal you have sitting there, that known known, we were making a decision that we were going to cap the number of Marines that we were going to keep either as F tappers or S or tappers, subsequent tour program or first termers. No more. Once we get to the threshold, no more. Well, think about that as a talent management model yeah. for a moment. We put all this investment in staff, sergeants, gunnies, corporals, a, sorry, no more space for you. This year, we lifted the ceiling and made it a floor. You will at least make this number. Guess what happened? More quality retention. Now we're going to, we are going to over-retain. More Marines have submitted packages. Unless an MOS was full to begin with, nobody's getting the answer, no more boat spaces. Uh, I'm an O3. I believe in the infantry as the backbone of the Marine Corps. For the first time since 2013, right, we made our infantry retention numbers, not just F-tappers, right? Because we, remo- we removed the ceiling and made it a floor. So for all of those out there that, that are really at the forefront, and this is our small unit leaders, right? One, the Marine Corps is the best service on the planet, right? That, that's, that's their best selling point. Number two, um, there is space for talent in the Marine Corps. Number three, because you're required to go to TRS, does not mean the Marine that you have to send to TRS is not interested in staying in the Marine Corps. Don't stop trying to retain them. But as soon as someone goes to TRS, Okay, they're done. I'm focused on the deployment. Uh, I got training to go to. Hey, you're going to stay back as RBE because we're going to Twenty Nine Palms. Uh, you have to go TRS. We'll see you later. Off that that devil dog just has to be at TRS. They have made it, they haven't made a decision yet whether or not they're going to stay. Plus, there's a whole bunch of mechanisms right now that they're on contracts. In other words, you can reinvest in the Marine Corps at your three year mark. Not wait till you're in your fourth year. Uh, meritorious promotions. There's the commandants. Retention program that really is just a scrape of the top 10% of every Marine in the Marine Corps. Here you go, commanders, keep these Marines. Mm-hmm. They get instant instant approval on retention. That's just common sense. So, one, encourage Marines to stay. Understand that we're pre- we're preparing for for combat and conflict. We're still the core we you joined, and don't write somebody off because they have to go to TRS.
0: You know, 12 months before EAS. So, this is going to sound a little raw. Brace yourself. But and you you know this because you were there as an enlisted Marine and this happens in the officer community too, but there is a certain component of people out there who just say, I'm just sick of this shit. I'm tired of this shit. And the shit is a little definable, but also hard to define too, right? Because it could be anything from, hey, I joined the Marine Corps to be in 0311 and I checked into my unit and I got fapped over to the base pool for a year or the recycle center or something like that. What are some of the things that a leader can do to reduce the, I'm sick of this shit, Shit. Sorry, those are my words. You don't have to use them. The number of times that I have probably said in my mind, F
1: the suck, mm-hmm. I can't count. Right.
0: We all say it.
1: Right. The number of times where this is straight mm-hmm. up bullshit, right? Uncountable. I get this quote from my wife, uh, who's who's retired, as, as many of the audience know by this time. She's retired first sergeant of Marines. Her point is this. It was never the Marine Corps when I had a bad day. It was usually the person that was representing the Marine Corps that really made it bad for me. Oh, good. That Yeah. If I'm sitting here on the, and looking out the catwalk of my barracks, I'm looking across the street at the nice brand new barracks. Yeah. This shit sucks. What do I have to do to get in that unit to be in that barracks? It's not the core. It's the situation that you're in that creates that. And And let's be very clear. And I got to be careful being the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. If anyone believes we're gonna keep hundred percent of everybody and everybody's going to be satisfied, that's a that's less than a paper tiger. Right. That's 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 a false assumption. Right. And
0: by the way, if you get out and you try to go to the grass is greener, if you if you think that you're gonna get out and the grass yeah. is gonna be greener, let me tell you from twenty five years of being in the civilian world as well, the same thing exists there. There is no grass is greener by getting out of the marine corps right, and running the civilian world. What bothers you about the Marine Corps, you're going to find it somewhere else in the civilian world. I guarantee it. This is a great point. And
1: again, I don't. I will never undermine the fact that there are things and places and leaders and facilities and equipment. They're, those mm-hmm. are realities, right? But I met three three guys I have not seen since 1991 and 92, respectively, came in town to run the Marine Corps Marathon. We were in our, we were in our first infantry battalion together. It was their first and only unit in the Marine Corps. And they got out for your tour. Desert Storm, Desert, Desert Shield veterans, and I hadn't seen these guys since then. They reached out to me on social media, uh, and they came in town for the marathon, and I had mm-hmm. dinner with them, and I said, okay, you guys have been out now for, you know, 30 years. Why'd you get out? All three of them, and I knew them well. They were good Marines, all three of them. One was my mm-hmm. best friend at the time. We thought that the Marine Corps sucked. I wanted to find out we spent the rest of our entire lives talking about how good it was in the Marine Corps, and that doesn't fit everybody's profile, right?
0: But it fits fits a greater majority than we probably want to give ourselves credit for. Interesting, because you were talking about getting together with some of your your old friends. You talk about the good times. Look, I'm just going to tell listeners this, too. Like, I do it all the time with my friends. I'm still doing it with them. The the Marine Corps changes your DNA and will be a part of your soul forever. And I guarantee you, no matter how much of a shitty time you had in the Marine Corps, sometime in your future, you'll be sitting around talking about the good times. And you'll miss them.
1: But the problems exist, right? So let me, if I could, without being as as long-winded as I usually am... Here's a couple of things that the Commandant has allowed, I'm hesitant to use the words I and me, but I am the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, and I was given tasks. I just came out of a quality of life sort of precursor uh, with the OSD staff today. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, All of the service senior enlisted kind of swim in this arena of taking care of people. And I don't want to use a phrase that that the Secretary of Defense has used, because because he's doing things to take care of the people, right? But we're at a period of time right now where we have opportunity to really begin to invest in the things that really are pissing everybody off, right? This is a great example because I think transparency is good. I visited Camp Pendleton oh, a couple of months ago, and when I was a company gunnery sergeant in 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines back in 2003, 2004, uh, I was responsible for one of the barracks there, right? Because I was a company gunny, and so I went to look at some of the worst barracks in San Mateo. Well, lo and behold, they took me to one of the barracks I used to be responsible for, and wouldn't you know, they took me to a room that I know for a fact I I had signed many maintenance log requests or maintenance requests on to fix that room, and the same thing in that room was wrong with it as it was 20 Mm -hmm. freaking years ago. Now, why that's so? is a whole different discussion to have. But the fact is we're in a time right now where those that give us the resources we need, right. To take care of our people are going, okay, what do you need? And that I don't want a Marine living in that room anymore. I don't think anybody's ever wanted a Marine to live in that room anymore. And I don't want to beat up on the lack of, or how many resources we have, but, but for, to educate the group, because we buy F-35s doesn't mean we could take that money and, you know, buy better MREs, right? That, that, they're just two different pots of money. We don't control that resource. But where we're at right now is, and where the common task me is, is hey, be that voice. And so everywhere I have gone, I've talked specifically about what is the all-volunteer force, what are the things that make the all-volunteer force successful, and what do we need to do to continue to have this all-volunteer force? It's pretty simple. There's only five things. One, a propensity to serve. No matter who puts on a uniform and what service, you have to first want to serve something higher than yourself. That may not be popular in society right now. First responder, a policeman, fireman, a servant, volunteering in your local community. The generation supposed to be aware, aware of this, but, but, but serving the Constitution and serving the United States of America in defense of our freedoms against all enemies, foreign and domestic, might not be a popular thing. But the things that we can actually control uh, inside the services, housing, that means barracks and that means where where families live. That may also mean BAH for people that have to live off installation because there's never going to be a time where we we fully have enough housing for both families and single on bases or installations. We just lawfully don't even get there. Uh, Medical care. I'm not going to go down how, how the medical care right now is facilitated for service members single or married. Retirement, pay, Mm -hmm. right? Pay and other compensatory factors. So all of those things are things that are moving in a positive direction. And a lot of those things are things that at the proverbial, quote unquote, deck plate level, I can't believe I used that term because (laughs) I refuse to ever use it. But at the end of the day, that's where it gets into squads and it gets into platoons and it gets into shops and it gets into... It gets into where staff sergeants and lieutenants and captains live, right? That is where the important influences are. And those are the people that say this place sucks or well, this place is great. Not not me and not right. the Commandant. We think the Marine Corps is great. Commandant of the Marine Corps and the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps.
0: Hell yeah, the Marine Corps is great. And that's kind of what I was getting at with the perspective of the people who have that retention on a daily basis touch versus where you are. But that was really interesting. I would like to talk about some of the things that affect the propensity to serve a little bit further, if we can dive into that some more. Because I I do feel like the Marine Corps attracts and will always attract those who have a propensity to serve. I just wonder if there are things going on right now that could impact that and what, what can leaders do to make sure that they're continuing to keep those people interested in joining the Marine Corps and staying in the Marine Corps?
1: Let's start with recruiters. There are still places in our country right now that our recruiters, because of COVID, couldn't get into because nobody could, that they they, they still can't get back really? in. Why? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I won't name names. I won't name states. I won't name, I won't name any of those, but there are places that are recruiters. By, by the way, there's a law associated okay. with this, right? Uh, that schools mm-hmm. won't let recruiters into, not just Marine recruiters, no recruiters, you know, full transparency because they don't believe mm-hmm. in serving. And so we have that narrative, maybe not just because of events the last, you know, four, five years or so. And so, and so the all volunteer force makes the assumption it's better to volunteer and make a more professionalized military than to conscript it. Knowing that when we get into war at the peer level, conscription is going to happen. The War Powers Act allows us to draft, right? So, but for an all, for a standing military, you have to have this propensity to want to serve. Well, think about what that means across, across the nation in certain places, right? Um, you have to want to serve. Um, when we raise our right hand and we say we swear allegiance to the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I made a point a while back in a small group about recruiting, and I said, you know, in our PME right now in the Marine Corps, we have entered what the Constitution says and what the Constitution means. Because in many places in our educational system, that's not that may not be the, the primary focus. And so what, what mm-hmm. are you serving? When you put your uniform on and defend the United States of America and swear allegiance to the Constitution, you have to believe that the Constitution is a valid document for a free nation, and you are willing to serve in defense of the rest of the entire nation with your life, if need be, against those who would oppose and threaten our freedom as a nation. How popular is that?
0: I think it's popular
1: and resonates with those who have a propensity to serve right? But the propensity population is shrinking because fewer and fewer maybe think that mm-hmm. that's like a thing.
0: Oh, you're probably right there.
1: And so we see the crisis that we have right now, right? So I think it's important that we start to have a bigger voice, right, at the national leadership mm-hmm. level, in media, in communities. And again, being fully transparent, if you join the military, suicide, broken, undereducated, there's not a lot of good publicity in the military. Mm-hmm. That's are fighting. Then all of a sudden, we don't want to say anything bad. And then when the fighting is over with, all these things are legitimate, but the fact is, if all you see, receive is negative, 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 why in the hell would you ever want to be part of that organization? An example, mental health is a real issue, true or false? I think true, it is. It is across the entire continent. Yeah, I don't think it's just military. It's not just in the military. But boy, I tell you what, you talk about joining the military, oh, your your mental health is an issue there. Well, I almost said F word. I mean... It, Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Is that a reason not to join? I I don't know. Propensity is huge. Listen, the only reason you join the military is to defend the United States of America and our partners and allies who wish to also be free democracies. If you're not into free democracies and the Constitution, you may be less propensed. And
0: and it's interesting, too, because... You know, parents have a lot of influence over that propensity to serve, too. So, you know, recruiters aren't just trying to convince that 17, 18-year-old person to join the military. They've also got to have some interaction with the parents, too, because that I'll bet you that drives a huge propensity to serve as well, even more so now than maybe back in the 70s after Vietnam. And by the way, we created the all-volunteer force that we have right now, right, as a
1: response mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, here here's a great example, and I use this example, and it's probably the wrong one, and I think I may have used it last time. Right in the middle of the Vietnam War, the best the best movie won many Academy Awards was Patton. Yeah. Uh here we are today and what's the what's the best movie about being in the military that's been out in the last, I don't know, decade? Mm. That's like Top Gun Two. Which is a great answer, and it's the one I get the most. It's a it's a flashback to the night. Look, Maverick even flies an F-14 at the end of it. I mean, for Kremlin's sake, he's still fighting (laughs) real communists. And so the last thing is, and this is where I think I put the fine point on it, who is it we're we're trying to protect America against right now? Who is the enemy? Enemy, Mm -hmm. strong word. We like to use words like adversary. Let me use the more correct word, I guess. Adversary.
0: Who is that? Well, geez. I don't know if I have a great answer for you there or not. I mean, the easy one to say is China could be our most likely future adversary. But then again, who knows? I don't think a lot of people back when you and I were coming into the Marine Corps saw the Twin Towers coming down. So I don't think anybody knows. And and I also, I'm sorry, I'm getting off on my tangent, but I think it's our responsibility as Marine Corps and as, a, as all the services to be ready for the fight that materializes, not necessarily the fight that we think is going to happen.
1: And yet, we spent the entirety of the Cold War knowing that the Soviet Union was the enemy. We've never went to war with the Soviet Union. But, but that threat to national defense and national security was so great that as a nation, we knew who the enemy was, right? Right now, we have many adversaries. We probably had many adversaries then, right? But we were focused on that one. Right now, all of our national defense strategies, security strategies, military strategies tell us who our pacing threat is. As a nation, and this is and again, this is about propensity, right? If there is no if there is no existential threat, maybe it's just it's not my time right now to serve. If I understand who the threat is and what the threat is, then I understand that, okay, now is my opportunity because this could happen any day. With the following reality to your point, no one saw World War II coming either, Mm -hmm. right? Not really. No one saw the global war on terrorism coming, right? Yet, we fought. We're probably more likely to fight in a proxy, I hope, rather than let's say, a China, because World War III is not very attractive to the, the existence of the planet, but that's not the point. We live in a world right now that the vast majority of parents, and definitely those who are in the age group that we recruit, have no idea of what an, of a geopolitical peer adversary is, and so the context is we haven't fully transitioned our thoughts you know, domestically on what that really means. Knowing that deterrence in and of itself isn't just saying, we'll get you if you get us. It's having a credible force that if if deterrence fails, you can win. Deterrence is hollow if you don't have the force that if your punk car gets pulled, you can win. So the idea of being propensed to serve in a, in, a, in a military right now that is not in conflict, is not fighting against terrorism actively, is not fighting against communism actively is not fighting is, is not actively engaged it's a very difficult message to sell that you better serve now because tomorrow may be different right we're living in the unknown space right we're living in the 1990s
0: right now post global war on terrorism right but if you look at if you look at history cuz i do like this idea of us talking a little bit more about how marines prepare better prepare themselves for the unknown how should those emerging leaders be preparing for the unknown But you just made an interesting statement, and if you go back in history, I'll start at the end of the Vietnam War. We're out of combat now. We're out of okay, Lebanon, Grenada, Panama, Liberia, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Somalia. Throw in uh, Haiti. Throw in typhoons and peacekeeping missions that we did there, or humanitarian assistance missions. Then you've got Bosnia, then Iraq, Afghanistan. And now we're here and people are saying, well, we're not in the fight. We don't have a deploy. You know, there's nothing, nothing going on. There's no deployments coming up. It's really hard to keep people motivated. Like, are, are, are you kidding me? Because it, now is the time for leaders to be preparing themselves for the unknown. And so what sort of advice do you have to those leaders? Because I personally don't subscribe to the fact that it's over. There, there is always going to be that unknown that we have to be prepared for because I just listed off a whole bunch of things that nobody had any idea was coming because we were focused on pop-up Green ivans and people coming through the Folder Gap. I think
1: this is a great, great point uh, that you bring up. I've been criticized a couple of times for talking about the interwar period, right? Because we believe there's only been one. It's it's the period between World War I uh, and World War II. I think we're always in an intermittent interwar period, right? What happened during the interwar period? Massive downsizing of the U.S. military, lack of investment in the U.S. military, our technology, and all, all, all the capabilities that, we, that we, we didn't have at the beginning of World War II, the mm-hmm. Great Depression. Let's just take a step back for a second. Um, right now, we are not in open conflict anywhere. Okay, we have about an average of every 10 years getting into a conflict. If we officially end the combat operations, I think it's 2014 in Afghanistan, I'm looking at my watch, the average is 10 years, we may not know where, we may not know when, but the fact of the matter is, the average tells us, within the next two to three years, we are going to be engaged in something, somewhere, and triggers are going to get be pulled. Okay, so when called upon, right, what force is going to be first in? It's going to be the Marine Corps, and is that force going to be ready when it gets there? So. So it's the proverbial, it's not a question of if, it's only a question of when, and we're all kind of sitting on the sideline going, okay, we're like in a three-point stance, right, getting ready to, you know, getting ready wait for, the, for the gun to go off and to, to start running the sprint. We are in an interwar period. What occurs during the interwar period? Train, educate, gain experience, reps, sets, the professionalized military, right, the Marine Corps specifically is right now doing summer practice over and over and over and over and over again so on the first kickoff we win that game that very first play. You can't ease into combat and not be winning on day one. It's too costly because the fact of the matter is combat and football are not the same thing. I'm not at, I'm not at war we can lose we can use term I'm in combat on a football field. Hey, my favorite sport you are not right? You can afford to fumble the ball and still win the game. You fumble in combat, you lose life. It's different. And so that's what we should be focused on right now because no one saw planes flying into buildings. No one saw planes flying into Pearl Harbor. No one saw somebody across the freaking DMZ. Nobody, we saw the conflict in Ukraine uh, coming because we can now. And now so what? By the way, there's a war going on. If we want to know what modern hybrid warfare looks like, there is a war happening in Europe right now. It's yeah. Here, here's what it's not devoid of ground combat, and it's fully facilitated by every modern technology from space to submarines. We're seeing it before our eyes. Where, where on the planet would we ever inject ourselves if a if a partner or ally? And I'm very, I'm, I'm crossing the the geopolitical lines with this statement. But when will we insert ourselves? Okay, that's what
0: we're that's what we're in the three point stance for right now cuz that day will come. It it will definitely come and I think that is where the emerging leaders really need to be focused on is readiness and be prepared to go. And we were talking before about war movies, so I'll bring one up as an example. Heartbreak Ridge. Everybody who's seen it will remember the scene where they they say hey we're going to war and then it turns out to be a readiness drill but the the main character i can't remember his name off top of my head but stitch jones was his his name in the movie and he can't find his helmet so he's wearing an old world war ii steel pot helmet and and you know then gunny highway comes over and gives him a hard time and we laugh at that scene because they weren't (laughs) ready well don't be gunny highway and have one of your guys show up with a vietnam helmet on right like from that scene got it. People have to be ready. They have to be ready. And I think a lot of that, I'm mean, going to use this as a as a way to segue, because I think a lot of that where emerging leaders can really have an impact, even way more so than when you and I came in, is in the area of human performance. And I, I'm kind, I've am i become recently fascinated by human performance, mostly because, like you, I'm a, I'm a football fan too, right? So I went to the University of South Carolina, I'm a huge Gamecock fan. I follow their program closely. And one of the things that I've been Amazed by the improvement is the things that they're doing to improve the the human performance of the players on that team. And it's and it's interesting to me that so much focus, how much focus they actually place on this human performance of their athletes. And I mean nutrition, physical fitness, mental fitness their social fitness, I mean, they all actually live in the same dorms, just like we live in barracks. And to a certain extent, their cultural fitness. And it makes me wonder if we have some room to learn from their leadership in this area, since I don't think it's a stretch to look at Marines or other service members as I think it's appropriate to look at us as a unique subset of performance athletes, but Marines slash other service members, you know, but here you are, You've served 35-ish years, right, in the Marine Corps, and I I heard a rumor that you're still running a first-class PFT and CFT. How have you done that? But more importantly, if, if you were starting all over again as a corporal sergeant, how would you lead others in that area?
1: Uh, one of the first things the commandant asked me to take a look at is a, is human performance. We did a warfighter summit. We did it down at MARSOC. The soft community has a thing called the m Basically, it's the preservation of the force and family. I happened to be in the room or at least associated with the group, when uh, the then SOCOM commander says, I'm going to throw about $10 million of my own money after this thing, and we're going to try to make the human more important than the system, mm-hmm. the weapon, right? And for a decade, they've poured, they've poured and poured and poured and poured time, created behaviors, a culture, and requirements into focusing on human performance. Now you would expect that from the soft mm-hmm. community. But the, the the kicker here is, that commander didn't do that until after the Bin Laden raid. Now, all the great things soft community was doing, right? But it became about, in his quote, not mine, it became about the mission at the person who was conducting the mission. I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. obviously. And so the human, the human factor is important. Let me talk about that in Marine Corps terms. I know for a fact you and I talked about this last time, or, or I've said it so many times that, that I think it was. When we purchase an aircraft on a 30-year buy program, it is non negotiable how much air goes in the tire, when the data systems will be updated. There will be a phase conducted, taking the whole damn thing apart, rebuilding it. Parts that are that are serviceable will get replaced in order to extend the la- I mean, will it's not in negotiation. NATOPS and service maintenance on aircraft, non negotiable. It's in the contract. If you don't do those things, they fall into the ground and crash. Right. We buy a human and say, okay, here's a here's a bunch of stuff. If y'all want to get, use this stuff, you can carry on. Not good enough, and so here's where we are. We did a CNA study on human performance back in 2020. What does that stand for? CNA. It said a Center for Naval Analysis. I, I've been very fortunate as the sergeant major of the Marine Corps to do two or sponsor two, two really huge studies. Think in terms of RAND, CNA, these sorts of organizations. That's what they do for us. And so it said we must have. A holistic, strategic human performance program, focusing on—and I'll I'll, I'll, again—I've added a couple of my own terms in here, but it'll make sense to the audience. Spiritual fitness. If you believe the only reason you're on this planet is to breathe and sleep, you're probably missing the point. Let's talk now. Let's talk about how that impacts mental health. Right? Sense of purpose is important, and you can define spirituality all you want, but General Neller put a more admin out back in 2015, I believe it was directing the force to think about spiritual fitness, right? Two, mental fitness. Very, very clear. How do you think? What is your mental capacity to first persevere and learn resilience, not just be a survivor, right? When in life. Three, behavioral fitness. How you interact with yourself, how you communicate to others, right? That's huge. What is your behavior pattern? Are you an alcoholic? Do you get enough sleep? Are you a gym rat that also uses a bunch of abusive substances in order to increase your performance, right? All all supplements aren't good for you. Mm -hmm. Those are behaviors, right? How you think. All that unconscious stuff we've been trying to get after all this time. Social fitness. You and I are on a screen right now. If we were in the same room together, different interaction. Absolutely. We'd be having a beer, first of all. An IPA. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so social fitness, right, how we work as communities. Think about that in terms of being in the military. We are a group of individuals who only succeed through being a team. Social fitness. The last form of human performance and fitness is physical fitness. To your point about South Carolina, everything you do when you become an athlete at South Carolina is we, we recruited you because we know you can play the sport. The last thing you're going to do is go on the field or the court or in the weight room. Last thing, last because we know you can do that already. How much better can we make you able to do that? That is these. That's that's holistic human performance. I think we're going to get there. There's been a lot of efforts made in the last couple of years. It was summed up in the last uh, study that I just got able. I was able to sponsor on what does professionalization of the force look like? Meaning maturing the force. It comes with how do you how do you build on the known knowns that you would retain. This goes back to our, our previous conversation. Okay, you're a known known. How can I create longevity in you? How can I how can I increase your ability to perform? How do I make you mentally, physically, spiritually, you know, mind, body, spirit more healthy in order to get more performance out of you to operate in these very dynamic environments? Because combat's never been simple, it, but it only becomes more complex. And so, how do we? How we think about you like a system, because we're going to, we got an F-35, we're gonna build new aircraft carriers, we're gonna have spaceships and satellites. It will be non-negotiable for those things. We have to have the same sort of strategy and behaviors and requirements that invest the same thing in the people. That, again, that was a monologue and a diatribe both together at the same time. But I'm a hundred percent where you are when it comes to human performance. Yeah, I, I,
0: I look at. Okay, I'll, I'll go back to the football thing, and I don't know this to be true, but here's what I think. I don't think that the locker room or the player's lounge or anything, anywhere the athletes hang out at the University of South Carolina in any of their sports, I don't think that their lounges and locker rooms are packed full of energy drinks, potato chips, and dip and cigarettes They're, because they don't want their high-performance athletes dumping that shit into their bodies. I don't know if we've gotten there with the Marine Corps yet. You know, It's funny you should mention that. So apples
1: and apples, but apple juice and apples are not the same thing either, right? This is an apple juice and apples sort of comparison. And yet, if you are a a semi-professional athlete, because we can pay them now, right? So we might as well go ahead and say that in colleges. I've got a daughter who's a D1 athlete. Really? What's she do real quick? She plays soccer, Uh, but she's on scholarship. And because she's on scholarship, she's owned basically to play, right, by that institution. Uh, She doesn't necessarily live in a free society.
0: Yeah, right, right. Neither do
1: Marines. (laughs) Okay, right. She owes it to the team. That's right. However, right, you flip that around, uh, I agree. However, my daughter will never uh, get shot at Mm -hmm. as a soccer player. Not intentionally. My daughter will never have to deal with casualties. My daughter will never have to deal with being able to take human life. My daughter will never have to find the need to smoke a cigarette to calm herself down because of what she does for a living or what she does for a sport ever. And so, although I don't support alcohol abuse, I don't support tobacco abuse, Mm -hmm. I have dipped and I have smoked. I know exactly when I've done it and I know exactly why I've done it. And so, at the end of the day, that's not excuses. But what I do think is relevant is that we don't want people who are addicted to tobacco that cause themselves to get lung cancer and lower their ability to perform and die eventually, and incur more strain on the VA system that's going to care for them. I know that those things can be distractions. They are unhealthy habits. I also don't need to talk about people who are using illicit substances You know, while in uniform. Zero, zero tolerance for drug abuse, mm-hmm. right? And so as a form of human factors, energy drinks, if you drink them, you don't sleep well. There's plenty of data and science out there. Yet, in every service, they are a pretty big generator of of resources to put back into other programs. So, it's a a very interesting dynamic. But to your point, people also don't want to eat in the chow halls. Why? Good question. I'll ask you. Uh, Because they are by contract designed to only provide healthy, balanced, nutritious meals. Okay. But on any base or installation, you name the service. Right, You name a location, if you have to drive by four coffee shops, three McDonald's, and a bunch of fast food restaurants to get to the chow hall, which is free, by the way, if you're a person who has a meal card, we're kind of attracting uh, the behavior we don't want, right? Mm-hmm. We are. I visited I visited DevGrew down at, uh, in Damneck. Neck, uh, and in their dining facility, everything looks the same as one of ours, except
0: there's no desserts there. Really? Interesting. I mean, I, I, I believe it. No desserts. Why? It's refined sugar and provides no nutritional substance. That's right. And my
1: favorite thing is still like an MRE pound cake, but <laughs> MREs are for a different purpose. It's massive amounts of calories in order to perform in the most demanding environment on the face of the earth, and that's combat. Mm-hmm. Right? But it also provides all the vitamins and macro, macros that it needs in order to sustain life. I wouldn't want to live off the damn things, right? because I'm not that good. Uh, although we don't have the five fingers of death any longer, thank goodness,
0: oh, I remember those
1: too, sure, or the uh the dehydrated pork patty
0: <laughs> mm.
1: yeah so yeah i think I think scientifically we know how to train better, I think scientifically uh we know how to eat better i think I think that if we don't move forward on implementing a strategy which which just for the Marine Corps has been studied. Uh, we have the resources. I don't think we need extra resources to do it. We just need to now create the behaviors. And I use the cult, the word culture loosely because we are have a, We do have a culture of mm-hmm. healthy fit people. We just don't necessarily mandate and put any requirements there to maintain and sustain right. it. But with all the resources to do that. Is there, is there room for the junior and emerging leaders to have a role in that? There already are. Both of our SOIs. So if you go to officer candidate school, you understand human performance. The diet is strict. The Athletic trainers that work at Officer Candidate School are there for a purpose. The way to recover from exercise is there. And the mental and spiritual portion of that is invested in all of our PME, right? In the recruit, in the entry-level training environment, both of the schools of infantry, where every single enlisted Marine, no matter what their MOS, goes to, have human performance programs invested in them because they're they're thinking about attr- attrition, right? Mm-hmm. How do I keep someone who who hasn't fully been Inculcated yet. Recruit training does it, but you still get out of there and you go, okay, this is crazy. People are yelling at me all day long, I need to get out here. They work on mental fitness, uh, their physical ability, right? If you go to SOI East right now, every single person that goes through there, every single Marine, it has a, a, a physical assessment done of them. Problem is, when they leave there and go to the 2nd Marine Division, they go to their MOS schools, all that data, all that performance, all that recommendation, all that, what they have been provided to create these behaviors does not yet exist in further on locations in commands, right? And so what I would offer everybody to do is most of our junior leaders are walking around with a Fitbit, uh, a ring, something on their, their phone that's telling them as individuals all this data. And they do something with it. They may ignore it, but the fact of the matter is they have the data. Imagine if the small unit leader, the platoon sergeant, and the platoon commander. I don't need to know the name of the individuals inside of my unit. But I can look before I step off on the hike at 05 in the morning, mm-hmm. right? How many Marines last night got the eight hours of sleep they need in order to be able to conduct the beginning of the McCree? Yeah. Right? And if in the weeks and days ahead of that time, I can see my, my platoon averages 4.6 hours of sleep at night. As a leader, I need to have a conversation with, with the Marines. I don't even know that Jones plays Call of Duty till 01 every single morning. What I need to know is, is that the sleep cycle of my unit, which I am responsible for its performance, so therefore I must be responsible for how it prepares, its, its training, its behaviors, right? I can at least influence through a conversation, hey, check this out, right? I may be able to tell through a device the caloric intake of individuals. By average, I don't need to know specifically who the individual is that likes to eat cheeseburgers on that long, but what I need to know is how much energy has this human being ingested before we step off to go to do an ITX or before we step off to leave the friendly position and conduct a movement to contact in combat? How prepared are we? Those are all human factors. By the way, we don't allow a pilot to get into the sea of an aircraft without doing a human factors assessment. What's the difference?
0: I agree. I I really hope that we see the Marine Corps get more towards treating people like performance athletes and looking at all the data like you were saying too. I I could also pick on height, weight standards, right? So if you're a leader and you've got 10 10 Marines in your platoon and they're over height, weight standards, but their body fat is 10%, uh, do we have an an overweight, fat Marine or do we have somebody who's probably ready to do a movement to contact? Um, And knowing that data can help you as a leader assess what's going on. I'm making up a scenario, but.
1: Well, make that scenario up. And again, I I know Mm -hmm. the audience, right? At one point in time, I was about 238 pounds because mm-hmm. I was a weightlifter, right? I was, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm reflecting upon many other people out across the Marine Corps, not Troy Black, the sergeant mm-hmm. major of the Marine Corps. Sure you were, right? But I was. that would have been well grossly outside of the Marine Corps height and weight standards, right? Uh, I had to get taped. My best PFT score, my cardiovascular evaluation at the time, was probably the best I would had having my career. You have to do those other things because I'm a, a bodybuilder. Might not be the person you need walking around with a pack on their back for 30 or 40 miles over the course of several weeks Mm -hmm. in sustained combat. That might, I don't know. Depends on the individual, right? And so mass does not always equal performance based upon the athletic skill or the performance standard they need to have. So there are some pretty good assessments of organizations in certain communities that, that all they did was jack steel. And then when they had to do their job, walking in the mountains right. didn't do so it's well. It's kind
0: of the same reason why a linebacker isn't a wide receiver.
1: Exactly the analogy that that's important to use here. So, but so so that begs the question: What is fit? And fit, and here's here's why. We're, let me ask the question to you: In the Marine Corps, is fitness a hobby or is it a requirement? It's a requirement. Define that because I disagree.
0: Well, I I took the question from the standpoint of. It's a requirement because your ability to go perform your, uh, let's use infantry as an example, to go and do an attack is directly related to, to some level of cardiovascular fitness. So therefore, it's a requirement to be able to do that. But you're an infantryman. There's a requirement for you to have enough cardiovascular conditioning in order to sustain an attack with everybody else in your unit.
1: But being able to being able to do it and being conditioned to perform it at the highest possible peak Mm -hmm. of performance, one would demand that there's a requirement. The other one would demand that as long as you're going to do it, you're good. Think of it in these terms. If you're a runner, what does
0: your platoon do? Uh, Yeah. So in other words, if I'm a leader in the platoon and I'm a good runner, what am I going to choose to do for exercise with the rest of the people that I'm in charge of? I'd run. Yeah. But the the real, the, the right answer is you do everything, not just what you're good at.
1: And so fitness is a hobby. Not a requirement. I I could see, that that holds water. Right, because if I'm in an infantry unit, uh, i got to hike because I have to get ready for a McCree. Right. Important. Are you really, other than getting a pack on your back and hiking, ensuring that when you're not doing that, is there a, this is a physical conversation, right? The physical performance conversation. What does the rest of the training look like? Intermittent to the putting the pack on and hiking look like? A lot of hiking. Looks like a lot of whatever you do as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not as the leader, but as the individual, right? And what's the best way to prepare for running long distance? It's not just <laughs> repetitively running long distance. It's other things. Sure. I don't want to misunder. I don't want to misrepresent. But we have a, a very huge order on like fitness, right? It gives varying ways to be. Holistically fit. It's a physical fitness thing. It it now mentions the importance of mental fitness. It's like going to map training where they talk about holistic performance, not just being able to kill somebody with your bare hands, right? There's more to it than that. But the point is, is that few of us read all that because that's kind of like boring Marine Corps stuff. No way. What it's doing is those are the proper things to do in order to make you a functional, fit Marine. I mentioned before I used to lift a lot of weights. I did well as a, as an infantryman doing that it may not have put me at the peak performance to perform all of the things I needed to do at their peak because it was my hobby.
0: Right. Right. So is the takeaway there for the emerging leader to make sure that they are incorporating the most holistic fitness program that they can and not just focus on what necessarily they're good at, but what the entire job requires?
1: Yes. I think emerging leaders and again, emerging leaders kind of like we're looking into the future and that's a good thing
0: Mm -hmm.
1: as an emerging leader. Here's, here's promotion warrants are important here. Uh, an officer's promotion warrant states the following they're unto belonging. Mm-hmm. A marine officer is responsible for every single human being in their charge. And like it or not, every single thing about them. That includes their performance, whether it be in their fitness. And that's holistic. All of those, those things I talked to you about before, just in the perspective of human performance the 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 tenants responsible for. So was the staff NCO and so was the NCO. Mm-hmm. And so as leaders, if you have a Marine, and I'm not being hypocritical here because I have lived this life right, for 35 years. As a Marine leader, if black shows up every Monday morning drunk, but black can hike the machine gun on the hike, black's not a great Marine. Black needs help. Mm-hmm. We often will we will often look at well black can hike the machine gun So the rest of what black does is on black's time, right until black, right, drinks himself to death and gets put in the hospital for alcohol poisoning. Then all of a sudden, everybody's concerned about the alcohol problem that black has.
0: Right. And and some of that is romanticized from the old days where, hey, black can go out and drink a case of beer and then come in an hour later and still hump the machine gun for nine miles. And we used to revere that behavior. We used to revere
1: that behavior. And you asked me a question a moment ago, what would I do differently today? Probably I would have discussions about those sort of things a little bit more. Yeah, I think I would too. I value the importance of the human system, especially as I get older. Being able to run a first-class PFT still doesn't have to be as challenging as it is, right? And so how we think about taking care of us, the human system, I'll put it like this. We're still flying aircraft that are long past their life cycle. They were supposed to not be flying anymore. Mm-hmm. How do they continue to do so? Good maintenance, repair parts. Holistic maintenance. Mm-hmm. I wish I had treated myself over my career, probably the way that I treated every weapon system that I put my hands on over the course of the same time. But one's required. Right. The other is a hobby because fitness is not just about how many pull-ups you can do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Finish about
0: what's your frame of mind before you step off on the PFT? You just made me realize something. I mean, I've I've been doing this project for two years now. I really like it. And and I constantly ask myself, or I say to myself, geez, if I could go back and do it all over again, because I've learned so much over the past two years. I think you just made me realize that this is my attempt of being able to go back and do it all right again by helping those emerging leaders since I can't really do it. Maybe I can do it through proxy. You're being reflective and you found
1: your tool to say, okay, don't make the mistakes I have made. Right. Right, General Lejeune, and I think maybe today he would change that because it's, it's different. It's the father, son, mother, daughter relationship. It's the it's the mentor mentee. It's the student teacher, right? Mm-hmm. No teacher would teach their student today. Math is stupid, but as students, math is stupid, right? I think as we learn, having opportunities like this, never be hypocritical. Well, you well you did it, Sergeant Major. Yeah, what I'm telling you is I don't tell my sons and daughter to do that stuff because. It's probably, in fact, I think sometimes we, we think the old people don't are, are, are being reflective. I and many others figured this out like six, seven years into our career. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so you
1: changed. Right. You changed. Or even 35 majority. years into your career.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think if I sat down and wrote a book, the things I would do differently as a lieutenant now that I'm 55 years old, it would be 400 pages. Yeah. Don't run in Chuck Taylor's. Exactly. Or 5 finger toe shoes because they didn't really work. <laughs> or or the old black boots that we had. I mean, just a, how much smarter yeah. we've become about human performance and everything is is kind of yeah. kind of what I was getting at. But we're coming up on the end of our time here, Sergeant Major. You're moving on from your post. I'm just I, I wanted to give you the floor for anything you want to talk about. Hmm. Wrap it up for me. That's dangerous because I usually talk about what I want to. Anyway. Yeah. Can you squeeze 35 years into five or ten more minutes?
1: <laughs> Actually, I can. One of the questions that I have gotten the most in this assignment has been, well, why did you stay in the Marine Corps so long? And in every single occasion, if it's in a group, I'll ask that Marine to get up or stand up and look around the room. And I said, what do you see? And of course, the answer is the same. I, I see Marines. There is absolutely no reason to dedicate your life to the Marine Corps except for the other Marines around you, period. Mm-hmm. And even though we've talked today about some of the challenges and we've talked about moving forward and we've talked about change and we've talked about we all owe it to ourselves to make the world a better place. It's a very simple Marine Corps-ism. When you show up on the range, make sure it's cleaner than it was before you got there. Try to find that one piece of brass in the sand that somebody else missed, mm-hmm. right? Therefore, the range is always a shithole when you get there. And when you leave it, the next person is going to say it's a shithole too. So perspective is important. Always try to make it better than it was when you got there. Focus on making it better. But always know that no matter what, it's the Marines that make the Corps, number one. Two, I have tried it personally every way that I possibly can to think about things like our culture, our ethos. And having thought through that, what will we change? We use the word culture. We have a culture of X. We have a culture of that. There's going to be a document that's going to come out about the ethos and culture of the Marine Corps. It's probably going to be an MCDP that lays it out, the terminal culture of our Corps, not the subcultures. And this is where the learning point is. Where we get in trouble in the Marine Corps is not the culture of the Corps. Nothing in the Marine Corps says be gender biased. Subcultures, however, will create a gender bias. And those subcultures may not be new cultures. Right, subcultures say running three miles in combat is stupid. Nobody's ever done that. You're not measuring running three miles; you're measuring your VO2, measuring your VO2, and your ability to process oxygen. Right? It's a subculture issue. We may change the PFT someday. It'll be to get, make it harder than and not easier. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we're Marines. And so I focus my problems on subcultures. I don't attack the culture. Okay, I like that, yeah. I if think. the plumbing doesn't work, somewhere in some building, someone made a decision to not fix the plumbing in the building because they were overwhelmed by other responsibilities and requirements, not because the Marine Corps sucks and doesn't like Marines living in the barracks. On In terms of war fighting, and this is where I'm always going to end and begin my conversation, it is the Marine, and, I, and I've thought through this a lot. I'm loosely using the phrase I. But no technology in the foreseeable future right, replaces the importance of a Marine in combat in conflict with an adversary. You pick the domain. Mm-hmm. But in almost every instance, even in the highly technical MOSs that are, that are new now, but will be old in the future, right, we, we're, we get enamored with new emerging technologies and MOSs, right? I remember when, the, I remember when we first got computers on our desks, I was in a Marine Corps. If you could type, you were like a big deal. Now, everybody's got one. Even in those environments right now, however, it is Marines who do the best at them. Why? We locate, we close with, we destroy the enemy by firing maneuvering, we repel enemy assault by firing close combat. That is a Marine Corps-ism of warfighting. And it translates to space, cyber, looking through the sights of a rifle, hypersonic technologies, manipulating EABO, it, all of that. All of that is based in a very simple thing. You are the enemy, you will lose, we will win in any domain in any environment. If that ever changes for the Marine Corps, if anyone ever says, well, but these Marine things don't really matter here with what we do. I'm sure A.A. A. Cunningham was convinced that the, the flight of an aircraft was so important that he didn't have to like be within a Marine Corps standard. That sounds great, but the fact of the matter is that's, a, that's an old technology now, f- flying planes. And Marines are still doing it better than anybody else because we're Marines. Mm -hmm. If that ever changes, there will not be a Corps. Because it's all based in the human being aspect of it, not the technology, not the weapon, that modern system. It's the person that employs it. The cognitive development of our Marines, officer or enlisted, must continue to be superior. We must invest in training, especially in interwar periods, and educating the force in order to be able to operate in the complex environments like we always have. We must understand that the rudimentary non-negotiables we talked about are non-negotiable. They are not waverable, and they are what actually makes us the preeminent fighting force that we are, right? So that's how I would wrap up a 35-year career because in my career, that's what my very first staff sergeant told me. And as the sergeant major of the Marine Corps this many years from now, years years, years past, I have not seen a difference, and I'll fine point it with this, and I'll close. I got a a note the other day, or yesterday. My senior drill instructor is retiring after 26 years of serving in post-retirement as an ROTC instructor, Marine ROTC instructor. Wow. And I remember the very first time that my senior drill instructor sat down with us on the squad bay and hotel company, 3rd Battalion, Paris Island. His hotel was in Third Battalion then, and said, "Here's what it means to be a Marine." J.J. did tie buckle, leadership principles, five-paragraph orders. Don't ever fail. If you mess up, don't make the same mistake twice. Are there any questions, privates? Because we called those and called them privates in Third Battalion back then. Sir, no, sir. I, I don't think anything's changed. Those things are fundamental.
0: Right. Well, thanks for wrapping up with that. Congratulations on 35-year career. Congratulations on being the sergeant major of the Marine Corps and having the amount of influence that you've had over the Marine Corps. I do need to wrap up with with one thing. That one one last question because you never really answered the question: Who's going to get their ass chewed if the uh, relief and appointment ceremony doesn't go right? It's simple. <laughs> I would. I'm the one. Of, I'm, I'm, I'm the one responsible for it. <laughs> right. Thrash yourself, Sergeant Major. Yeah. And, and special thanks to your ComStrap people there. Mike Fuentes, Master on uh, really great guy. I got a chance to come by and see him at the Pentagon the other day when you were you were out of the office. I, I did get a chance to peek into your office. You've got some really impressive memorabilia in there. I think you're going to have to schedule TMO to spend five days in there uh, getting it all out of there for you. I, ca- <laughs> I carry it all in there. <laughs> I'll carry it all
1: out. Hey, just on that for a second, sure. and, and if, if I could just get the last word in. Just, it, it, well, always. You know, always. You know, I am you know, getting I'm getting a lot of congratulations on ah, thirty-five years, thirty-five years, thirty-five years. The the fact of the matter is, is that my my space in the Marine Corps is is easy fillable by any number of other Marines. I think the important thing is this is for all of us that wear a uniform, but all of us as Marines. Marines are unique. And while we're unique, There's something else I learned and this is important. It was my recruiter. My recruiter told me before I went to boot camp, okay, here's how you're successful in recruit training. Do everything as fast as you can the best you can until chow. After chow, do everything you can the best you can as fast as you can until chow. After noon chow, do everything you can the best you can as fast as you can until evening chow. I like that. After evening chow, do everything you can the best you can as fast as you can until you hit the rack and then the next morning do it better than you did when you went to bed last night. And so for every one of us, I don't I think it's unique for Marines that when we're given a task, we do it the best we can every single time. And any Marine that's wearing the uniform or you see how many how many Marines that have gotten out have been such successes? Because that mentality carries on with them. I think for anyone that's going to stay in the Marine Corps, and I hope everybody stays in the Marine Corps once you come in. Just remember, there's a very simple key to success. It's do everything you can, the best you can, and if you do that, opportunities that you have, you don't you don't get those opportunities because you did that. You get those opportunities, and the burden's upon you to continue to do the best you can at everything you are told to do and are tasked to do. I hope, as I get ready to take my uniform off, that somewhere along the way that, that transmits to all those that are around me and the the shoulders of the broad shoulders of the Giants uh, that I get a chance to lean on and stand on because none of us are here because of our own efforts.
0: Well, you may take your uniform off for the last time, but you'll wear the EGNA on your soul for the rest of your life. You know better than I because you're on the other side right now. Thank you so much for your time, Sergeant Major Black. I appreciate it. This was great, and it was an honor. I have a funny feeling I'll keep seeing you around the way long after you take off the uniform. So congratulations again, and thanks again for your time. This has been great. Appreciate you. Thanks. Keep on doing this. It's how you give back. Thank you. Thank you.